You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. Ajit, you've been a coach for how many years now? I have been coaching uh, seven years. Okay, so what was the spark that made you decide to take on your first coaching client? Had someone reached out to you initially, like asking for your help? Or had you considered it and then did you decide? Or, you know, did you go out looking for clients? Like, What was that process like for you? How I got started in my coaching journey was actually by coaching my team members. And that was the first set of people that I ever coached. And it was, of course, not paid as a coaching thing. But the reason why I started with coaching team members is because very early on in my life, I decided not to pursue engineering and not pursue something that was specialized because I didn't know what I wanted. And what I was pursuing was not making me happy with what I was pursuing, which is engineering at the time. And so I kind of quit all of that and started doing something that's called Bachelor of Commerce from Rajasthan University, which is like not a special university and definitely not a special degree. So it didn't give me any specialization per se. And most of the time, how we become successful at something or how traditionally we've done things is we pick very early on a career and we get specialization in that career and then we pursue it, right? And I didn't do that. And so I had to choose something that would give me diversity of experience so I can find what I want to specialize in. And so very early on, I started taking random jobs. Like my first job was event manager and somebody who was supposed to go get advertising from people. My second job was designing worksheets for kids and jobs like that I would do our jobs and learn what different, different things, trying to figure out what is it that really I like doing, right? So during that course of time, I started working for a student organization, which would need you to take leadership roles after every year and different leadership roles after every year. And I realized that when you join an organization like that, or at least my experience joining an organization like that is, people who have taken a leadership role might be only one or two years older than you, but because they have to keep you in a voluntary organization where you're not paid anything Mm -hmm. for the matter you're spending money in and you are a kid yourself and you're choosing between going out partying versus working for this organization, it's the same amount of money you got as pocket money from parents. Mm -hmm. You could go out drinking, partying, or you can come to this organization, work for free and pay this organization to attend conferences of this organization, right? And people had to choose not to go party to work for this organization, right? And that showed tremendous leadership skill. It needed tremendous leadership skill because you're actually getting a young 18-year-old to say, don't party, instead come work here. Like work, actual work. You're going talking to companies and doing things, right? So very early on, I saw good leadership because if you can motivate an 18-year-old to not drink and party and work instead, you've got something right. (laughs) You've got something right. And so I learned early on that you could get people to do things if you approached people in a very human approach. And that was the skill of coaching. I didn't call it that at that time. We were just calling it leadership. But over time, what I would realize is that's the skill of coaching. And, And I learned that as a skill in that student organization and then pursued it. And that's why I I was able to move between careers and got really successful really quickly. By the time I was 31, I was CEO of a multi-million dollar company. This company was Mindvalley. Now people know Mindvalley, we're partners and have a coach there. But I was running that company when I was 31. 
which is really young to be a CEO of a multi-million dollar company. It was already doing like 40, 50 million annually in revenue. And I could do that not because I'm some special kid, but because I was using coaching in working with people. And when you're working with people and you're able to get results from them, you escalate in your career really, really quickly. So my coaching started there. And at 32, I ended up in a crisis in my life. I found that while I was amazingly passionate about my work and I loved doing it, that was the only thing that I really loved at the time in my life. I loved the company. I loved the work I was doing. I was, of course, at the top position. So I was loving everything around it. And I realized that I was in love with my then partner, that my friends and I were mostly transactional relationships. I wasn't living a healthy life. Basically, everything around me was not really at a satisfactory level. And so I said, I need to step down from this career so I can choose life. Mm -hmm. So I can choose to live my life, not as a function of work I do, but as the life I want to live. And because of that, I stepped down as CEO the following year and chose to engage more with my coaches. So I always had coaches that I hired or did programs with or whatever. It might be group coaching programs and so forth. And I chose to engage more with my coaches. And I started to recognize that all of these coaches were amazing. They were outstanding. And for whatever reason, all of them had money issues. Like they were either not very successful as a business person or they were not being able to enroll clients and so on and so forth. And I was like, well, that's something I'm naturally good at or at least I've found myself or become really good at. That's why I was CEO of a multi-million dollar company. So like, let me help these people. And I could do that by building a platform. And so I decided to start Coach, and I partnered with Mindvalley. I said, hey, listen, this is a platform I want to build. I want to make you my partner because, you know, we work together. I love vision and all of that. So we're like, all right, let's do this together. And we decided to launch Evercoach. Now, as I started Evercoach, I realized while I'm really good as an entrepreneur, I didn't know if I was good as a coach. And so I said, who am I to bring a platform and say, I will wet the speakers and authors here while I haven't had the experience of going out in the world with no credibility, with no name and be able to get a client and then deliver results to that client. So like if I haven't done the work, I can't be the person that holds the space for everyone. And so that led me to go out in the world and start getting first free clients and then paid clients. I would go out to prove that this can work. So I would love to hear how did you enroll your first clients and what did you learn from that process? I also know that you do have a story about losing your first three clients if you're open to exploring that as well. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So the first client that I got was through me reaching out at different events to different people that I would meet. So I would go to these events where the initial thing that I chose was I will be a business coach. I said, I'm going to start with business coaching because I know a little bit about it. I know a little bit about coaching. I think I can lean into it and I can really make this work, right? So I started with saying, I'm going to be a business coach. And I said, how do we get clients? Let's go talk to people. That was my first strategy is go talk to people at events, right? And which is the strategy that I recommend people do as well when they're just getting started. So I went out, I started talking to people and I would lean into conversations based on whatever they were at and whatever the problem that they would talk about or things that they don't like on stage because we're at an event, you know, or things that they agree or disagree with on stage. I'll make that my conversation starter. And from that conversation starter, I would lean into, hey, I am now starting to coach companies and I want to be able to work with your company and we'll work with each other for, you know, $10,000 a year uh, and I will be working with you every week. Mm -hmm. It's basically I'm part of your coaching team, right? A team that coaches you or uh, any team members that you want. So I was over giving. Like I was totally like, it was not even 200 bucks a session or something that would be. And I was like, 
but I'm totally down for that because again, I was doing it also with the intention of understanding how this works for Evercoach. And so I started leaning into that and started pitching myself. And one of the clients uh, kind of listened to my whole thing, whole spiels. They said, yes, and you're charging too low. Like they literally said that on my face. They were also a coaching company themselves and they were just being kind and gentle. I think they were just being, because they saw this is a young kid trying to get into the space. They were like, let me help this out by actually coaching this person and actually increasing their price. So we went from 10,000. Then I said, okay, 15,000. And he was like, that's too low. You can do better. And then I was like 20,000. And he was like, no, too low. You can do better. And now at this point, I was like, this guy's just messing with me. Like this, he's going to say no for whatever price. And I was like $25,000. And he was like, fine, I'll give you the check for $25,000. Uh, and he did. And I do think you're undercharging because you're going to work with me every single week. That's a lot of work that you're doing over the course of the next one year. And that's a really small fee for it. Especially if I could have even half of results that I think I will have with you, right? Or I would have with any coach. So that was where I first got my big check of a paying client. And then I started using that strategy of like, oh, the playbook is great. Go to events, talk to people. As you talk to people, find out their problem. As you find out their problem, present a solution that may be congruent with their problem. Present yourself as a person, as a trusted advisor that will help you solve this problem. Great. And it worked. I was able to enroll many clients. And at the same point in time, I, because I was building Evercoach, I was trying to understand how coaching works. I was trying to help these clients. What I was doing, and remember, this was a point of my life where I was like, everything is crippling. I'm not going to sacrifice mm -hmm. my life for my career, right? So I started doing things that I would now say were a little bit silly. Mm -hmm. Like I, for example, I would forget about my coaching calls. What? Yeah, I would be like, there was a schedule that we would have. Yeah. But because I was traveling, because I was like, you know, oh, I want to travel as well. I would like literally sometimes be on a flight at the time when I'm supposed to be on a coaching call. And I know it sounds ridiculous I, now. I, I'm actually like a little flabbergasted by that. Yeah, but I would do that. Yeah. It, it would happen that some days I would go, oh crap, I have scheduled a call, but I would be like walking with Nita on the streets while coaching on my right. phone. yeah. Uh, that's the worst way yeah. to coach. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, what? Like now I look at it, I was like, what was I yeah. thinking? <laughs> right? So I would do crazy things like that. Mm -hmm. I would, instead of coaching, I would just start telling people to do what they need to do. Right? So I would be more of a consultant than a coach without even listening and understanding their problem. I would just go into consulting. Or like, I'm telling you what you need to do. You need to do blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. As if I know for certain what mm -hmm. their problem is. Right? So initially, I made all the horrible mistakes a coach can make. Right. I would uh, forget my appointment. Not forget, but I would like literally know my appointment is and book a flight right around the time. Mm -hmm. Somehow thinking that I'll make it, which mm -hmm. I definitely did not. Do calls while not being fully present to it. I end up in situations where I wasn't really coaching the person or trying to understand the problem. I would like literally start talking over them. Like all the shitty things that a coach can do when mm -hmm. they're new, I've done. So if anybody goes, oh, you know what? I will make that one mistake that will end my career. I am that example that it will not. <laughs> but I like, love I've had terrible clients. I've done terrible things that should not have kept me in the industry. But like anything, it's a learning experience and you grow out of it and you go, okay, what's the mistake I made? Right. This is the mistake I made. So, okay, let's correct that mistake. Let's not do it the next time. Now, eventually, I was able to reconcile with all of these clients. So now I have a great relationship with pretty much all of them. So because I was able to go back to him, help them with no intent for them to buy anything from me, just out of generosity and love and support. And eventually, our relationship mended. But when they said, you're fired, 
they really were like, you fired. Like you took a lot of money from us because I was charging 20, 20, 25,000 is not a lot, but still it was like a lot mm-hmm. um, because, I, you know, like at least it was a lot for them. And it was like 20, $25,000 is what we paid you. You're supposed to be with us for a whole year, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We were able to resolve. So eventually we were now, we're great friends now. It's all good. It's mm-hmm. all beautiful. But at the time, it was the worst mistakes. I really appreciate your transparency because I think it's going to be great for everyone listening who's just starting out or maybe, you know, uh, maybe they've been doing this for a few years, you know, just feeling shame around certain things that they've done. And it's just, we've all done, I have done some stuff that I am not very proud of. It's not my podcast, it's yours. So <laughs> you could share your shit, but I've done some things and I've gone back and made amends and people are actually quite forgiving. You know, I think it's really good to just share this part of the journey because so many new coaches starting out, they want to do everything perfectly. And it's like, no, you just have to take the advice that fits well with you, right? And then see if it sticks, see if it works. If not, change your strategy. I know you started your coaching journey as a business coach, and then you transitioned into life coaching. How did that happen? And what were your biggest insights and challenges from transitioning niches? So the reason why I transitioned from business coaching to life coaching is because I realized all business coaching is life coaching. Mm-hmm. I, Whenever I was business coaching, if I was coaching and mm-hmm. I wasn't consulting, so business coaching is a mix of coaching and consulting because mm-hmm. sometimes you have to wear the consulting hat as well. You can't always just be coaching in a business setting. I mean, you can, but I don't. I like to integrate them both. So I realized that Every time I was working with a business, I was really life coaching the business. I Mm -hmm. wasn't life coaching the team or life coaching the CEO, life coaching the founder. And that was really what my work was more so than my business coaching or my traditional consulting or any of that. That was maybe 20% of the work, Mm -hmm. 20, 30% of the work, which is mostly driven by systems. So they were not even complex, advanced things that I was doing with businesses. It was very simple, like make a marketing plan. Mm-hmm. And here's how you make one. Here are the elements for marketing plan, which is like not complicated. Anybody can learn it. And you do learn it if you take one of our certifications, where we go, here are the 10 systems that you need. And most of the companies, if you give them those 10 systems, they probably don't have it. And mm-hmm. if they implement it, they will be very successful. Mm-hmm. Very simple, right? And that's what people think is difficult about business coaching, but that's not. Mm-hmm. What is difficult about business coaching is coaching the person. Mm-hmm. Like getting rid of the CEO's ego. That's the difficult part. But you're basically life coaching anyone. Yeah. And so I realized that all coaching is always life coaching. Even health coaching mm-hmm. is really life coaching. And if you can do that well, if mm-hmm. you can build a system around it, if you can have a good system around it, you will be able to get great results for your clients irrespective of the domain that you coach them in, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a health coach, you're a business coach, you are you know, accountability coach, whatever kind of coach, the skill that you really are building is human-to-human skills. And that's life coaching, right? It's about how you think about something. It's how present you are to something, how your habits are built, how you're connected to your purpose. All of these things is what really matters in somebody's transformation. And so everything effectively is life coaching. So what advice would you give to a coach who wants to transition into a different niche. Like, let's just say they start off as a health coach and then they're like, you know, I want to be a mindset coach. And then, I mean, like all these different titles can really trip us up, right? And then also as a follow-up to that, you know, how we go about finding those clients in those other niches can feel so overwhelming and complicated. So my first question is, what advice would you give a coach looking into transitioning niches? So if you're a coach that is looking to transition from one niche to another, Mm -hmm. I would say stop calling yourself coach is the first thing that you do. And the reason for that is because the moment you call yourself coach, what happens for the person who's receiving that is they put you in a box. They have an understanding of what a coach is and they would think that's what you are. 
right? If they have never interacted with a coach in life, they would think you're a football coach and they mm-hmm. would immediately turn off. Mm-hmm. If they have interacted with a coach in life and let's say they didn't do a good job, you will think you're a charlatan who does not know what you're really mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. And so they will put you in a box. You don't want to be in a box. You don't want to be called a business coach, a life coach, a health coach, or whatever coach. You want to be called a person that helps transformation, right? You're a person that helps another person lead a transformation, Mm. which is why you never want to go, hey, hi, I am X, I am a life coach. That's not how you start a conversation. That's also not a conversation starter if you think about it. It's a conversation ender. What is a conversation starter like is like, hey, I am person X. What do you do? And you ask that person what they do. Mm -hmm. And you ask them, oh, what is the thing that you're working on right now? Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges? Have you realized that in business these days, the real challenge is how to work with remote employees? Are you struggling with Gen Zs? Mm -hmm. Right? All of these things are conversation openers Mm -hmm. because it will get them to present their opinion. Mm -hmm. So before you get into your head and say, how do I introduce myself really well? Ask a better question. How can I be interested in the person I'm going to talk to? How can I open a dialogue? Not close a dialogue, Mm -hmm. open a dialogue. What type of coach you are is a conversation ender. Start with or think more about how can I keep this conversation going, right? And if you can keep the conversation going, when it will be time, you can present yourself as whatever coach. It doesn't matter because you know what? They don't give a shit. Like your clients don't care if you're a health coach or a health diva. Like, it doesn't make just, any difference to them. Yeah. It makes zero difference They want to know, them. can you help me? Yeah, they want to know, yeah. I have this problem. Can you help? Yeah. Oh, yes, great, awesome. That's all I care for, mm-hmm. right? So if that's the thing they care for, why title yourself in a way that would really box you into something? Right. You want to get a certificate for a certified business coach, life coach, health coach, mostly so you know what methodology you're going to use. It's a methodology reason of calling yourself mm-hmm. a coach. It's not an introduction. So first of all, if you want to transition as from one type of coaching to another type of coaching, don't even start telling that you're a coach. Just go into the field that you want to work with and start helping people in that field. And that's it. And that's that also brings me to the next question as to how do I transition niches? You transition your niche as a coach by simply talking to a different group of people. So does the method of finding clients change when you transition niches? Like what was your methodology for finding clients when you transitioned from business to life coaching clients? So... If you're looking for, oh, I've changed my niche, should I now find a different strategy to build my business? The answer is you don't need it. What you need is a different conversation starter, mm-hmm. right? That's all you really need. It's still you're talking person to person. Like I said, all coaching eventually is life coaching. So eventually, that's all you will be doing. Even as a health coach, you're mostly working on behavioral change of the person. They know what diet they should eat. They know sugar is not good for them. They know too much coffee is too much coffee. They don't need that data from you. That's not why they hired you. They're hiring you because they still keep drinking coffee. They still keep eating sugar. They still cannot stop anxiety eating. All of that is behavior change. Behavior change is life coaching. So everything eventually is life coaching, if you really think about it, right? So if that is the case, you're not necessarily thinking, oh, how do I go to a different place? No, you're just simply having a different conversation because people have different problems and all those problems can be solved in different ways. Now, the only thing to consider if it's a hard switch, like you're literally going from, I talk to people who are construction or in construction companies. Now I want to talk to moms who are stay at home. Well, then you have to find a different group to talk to, right? Because you have to go to a different place to find these people. That's a hard switch. That's not a niche switch. That's more of a 
personality or more of a person switch of the market switch, the top market that you want to speak with, because that's what is more present to you. That's where you really want to speak to. But that's nothing to do with your niche. That's more to do with what's the market you want to speak to and where does that market hang out, right? And every market has a place, you know, like if there's real estate people that you want to talk to, there's a community where real estate people hang out. Go talk to that community or go speak in that community. Be a part of that community. If you're talking to single moms, there's a community there. Go talk to that community. That's the place you want to go to. You want to go to a place where your clients hang out. And that's the market switch, not so much of a niche switch. You know, there's so much pressure to have X amount of clients or make X amount of money per month in the coaching industry. What do you want to say to a new coach who's feeling not enough because they're still a part-time coach or they don't have consistent clients yet or they're not hitting their monthly revenue goals? What do you want to say to them? If as a coach, you're not feeling good enough or as an entrepreneur, you're not feeling good enough, it probably is a function of one of two things. The first thing could be that you have set an unreasonable expectation. You have set a timeline and expectation of who you should be or what you should be and what you've just should yourself too much. You've been like, oh, I must be making X thousand dollars and have these many clients by this timeline. And Fortunately, life doesn't work that way. And I say fortunately because it is an experience that we get to have versus an end goal we get to meet. And that's the first reason why you probably feel not good enough as a coach is because you've set yourself up for an expectation that is arbitrary. It has no base of understanding of future because there is none that you could have except if you are from a Marvel movie and you can time travel. (laughs) Uh, If you can't do that, Mm -hmm. then you have no idea what's going to happen in the future. You're not Dr. Strange. So stop treating yourself like one. And the second reason why we don't feel good enough is because of our environment. It's because we surround ourselves with conversations that set ourselves up as less than. That we start to either compare or compete uh, where we go, oh, person X is, you know, so good, so poised, so great at presenting their thought. They're such a great mic. They're such a great camera. All comparisons. Or we start to compete. It's like, but does that person get to have it and I don't? Why is it that that person's ahead? Like, I'm prettier than them. Why is it that I'm not having it? Right? Either of those situations puts you into a lower than or less than pedestal. Right? The classic problem that people don't understand with competition is competition is against always somebody that is ahead or in your perception ahead, which means you will always feel behind. Right. And the moment you start to feel like, oh, I'm heading in this competition, I'm like winning, you will find somebody else that's ahead in the competition. And there's always somebody ahead in the competition because it's a matter of perspective. It's not only about money. Sometimes it's about relationships. Sometimes it's about following. Sometimes it's about product lines. It could be about anything. You can feel defeated by someone at any given time. It's very easy to do. Right. So competition inherently is designed for you to stay behind like for you to lose. If you are competing, if anybody has told you compete to win, it's not true. You compete to lose because every single time you're somebody in some way that will be ahead. That is just life. So firstly, stop competing, right? So stop having that dialogue. And secondly, is if you have created an infrastructure around you, you're constantly comparing yourself to somebody else. You need to look at your infrastructure. Is it people? Is it your friends? A lot of times it's to the friends, you know, it's the friends that you hang out with thinking, oh, they're so successful, I should hang out with them. But you could be successful and a shitty person at the same time, right? So don't just hang out with a successful person if they're a shitty person. Hang out with a successful person that's also a good person because at the end of it, what you want to feel 
is good about your journey. You want to feel like, wow, I'm loved, I'm appreciated, I'm seen for who I am. And I feel like they're holding me along the journey. You're not feeling like they come in and try to show off how great they are and you're not, right? Because then you're not going to take action. You're going to feel defeated, right? So don't hang out with people just because they're successful. Don't hang out with people if they take away energy from you. Don't hang out with people that are always negative. They always have a problem with life. Don't hang out with people that repeat the same mistakes again and again and again because they will get you to make those mistakes soon enough, right? Because for them, that's natural behavior. You want to be with people that you have intentionally picked because they lift you up. It doesn't matter where they are in their journey because it's a journey. Everybody gets to have their own journey. There is no comparison. There is no competition. There is experience. And find the people that lift you up, that you feel excited about, that you're like, hey, I had a conversation with this person. At the end of the conversation, I felt fun. I felt joy. I felt uplifted. And now I'm ready to go to work, right? I'm not feeling like, oh, crap, that person, you know? I don't need half an hour to de-energize myself or ground myself after talking to the person. You don't need that person in your life. Quit that person, right? So look at your environment and see what are those things that are making you feel less than or not good enough. And then there's wiring. Like they could literally be wiring because of the stories you have repeatedly told yourself that you feel not good enough. Right. So it could be that you've constantly told yourself, oh, I'm not good enough as a coach or I'm not good enough as a person or I don't follow through on what I do. And a great way to build confidence towards your enoughness is by doing what you say you're going to do. And you can start with really small things like saying, hey, I'm going to drink five glasses of water today and just drinking five glasses of water today. Because once you start building that muscle in you of trusting yourself or trusting your instinct or trusting your behavior, you will see that slowly but surely you will start to build more confidence and enoughness for yourself. Speaking of confidence, another thing that new and even more experienced coaches, by the way, it's not just the newbies, they struggle with having confidence not only in themselves, but also in their coaching skills. And I know you've coached many clients through this. So what kind of guidance could you share for anyone listening right now who may be feeling like they're just not a good coach and they just, you know, their confidence in themselves and their skills are dwindling? What advice do you have for them? So if you're a new coach or even a seasoned coach and you feel like you're not a good enough coach or you didn't do a good enough job in a particular coaching session, I want you to remember when you first started driving a car, mm -hmm. right? When you were a kid, you're this giddy kid who was ready to drive the car, right? And your parents got you a car or got you a driving lessons the first time you got behind the wheel. How confident did you feel driving the car? Not at all. Not at all right? And maybe the second time also, you didn't really feel very confident. You had the instructor sitting with you, making sure you don't run into people or other cars, mm -hmm. right? To make sure that everything was safe. That's how a new skill is built. And you don't get confident just because you have a car. You have to learn how to drive it. And to learn how to drive it, you must be willing to fail or have an instructor by the side that's catching you every time you're about to crash into something. Mm -hmm. That's literally how coaching as a skill is built. Mm -hmm. It's not built in sitting in isolation and taking the program. It's built by doing it. Mm -hmm. You can read all the car manuals and get behind the wheel and fuck it up in the first second, right? Because it's not about knowing the details of the car. It's about who you are when the car's on mm -hmm. and when you start driving it is the same thing when you are a coach. It's not about if you know everything about a human being. Your old psychological, spiritual elements you could know. But if you can't translate it into a conversation, you won't be impactful. And the only way to get effective in that conversation is by actually having that conversation, right? What you will find is as you do this over time, you would build tremendous amount of competence and you will not doubt your enoughness once you have done this enough times. 
But there will be a point in your experience that you would tip to a level where it'll get boring. Mm -hmm. It'll be like, I can do this from the back of my hand. And usually this is the point where a lot of seasoned coaches stop. Because they think, oh, I know the shit and I am the shit, mm-hmm. right? This is a classic problem that happens. And when that happens is when they start to, over time, lose confidence in their capabilities because they're repeating the same thing. They're not finding something new. They're not studying something new. They're not creating something new. And so they get stagnated. It's almost like how if you put water just in a thing and just let it be, it'll go stale. Even water does. And that's what happens with the coach. If you as a seasoned coach haven't consistently worked on your skill, even if it felt like you were learning the same skill again, you will look at it from a different lens and so it will become a different skill. Mm -hmm. But you need to stay curious to it if you are feeling not good enough as a seasoned coach. One of the things that I want to talk about is something called Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm -hmm. Dunning-Kruger were these researchers. I think there were two. Uh, But basically what they found is that when you learn something new or when you discover something new, you are incredibly low competent in it, but you have a really high confidence in it Hmm. because you think you know the shit, right? So first time you learn coaching, you were like, oh, I am the shit. Like Mm -hmm. I know exactly what to do because let's say you took one of our programs and you're like, oh, I know exactly how to coach, right? And you go out in the world and you do a coaching session. You're very confident about it, but you have no competence. So you suck at it, Mm -hmm. right? What will happen is while your competence actually increases when you suck at something because you have learned a way to not do it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Your confidence drops dramatically, right? So now you are a little bit more competent, but dramatically less confident, But what happens is if you keep doing it, your competence level keeps going up, but your confidence doesn't change Mm. because you start to associate yourself as this old version of you, which is overly confident and extremely incompetent, right? So what happens is while you're getting really, really competent, you're still thinking you're not good enough as a coach. So let's say somebody who's been coaching three years, four years, five years, listening to this going, yeah, I don't think I'm a good enough coach. Well, that's you are experiencing what is called the valley of despair, in Dunning-Kruger effect, Mm -hmm. where you are actually really competent, but you are absolutely not confident, Mm. right? The only way to get out of Valley of Despair is to get the awareness that you're in the Valley of Despair, which probably a lot of the listeners are right now, and then to start building confidence towards the competence that you have or proportionate to the competence that you have by finding evidence on how your clients are getting successful as you're working with them as you're working with different people, even if they're non-paying clients, if you see, oh, I did this and this person got a result, now your competence and your confidence will start to match up. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you would just feel that you're not competent even when you're really competent because you have low confidence. So you want to find that where you are in the valley of despair and you want to work out of valley of despair by actually keep taking action then looking for evidence on how you're getting more and more uh, better results for your clients. And so you're getting more competent And hence, you're also getting more confidence now. And like you say, confidence is a skill that can be built. So if you as a new coach or even a seasoned coach needs to look for evidence, I mean, honestly, just go to your clients and ask them. You could just have a conversation and be like, how have I helped you in the past three months? How have I helped you in the past year? You know, and sometimes we just need to hear that, right? We can be in the doing of things and we're like, okay, I guess I'm good at this, whatever. But you don't really feel it because you're just kind of in your own head and going through the motions. So like going out and actually asking your clients and, and, and getting those testimonials and actually like getting clear on the results, I think can really help increase the confidence as well. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back to your coaching journey till today, what would be the three key pieces of advice you'd give to new and aspiring coaches? 
If I were to give three pieces of advice to new coaches, the advice number one is do something instead of thinking about doing something. That mm -hmm. would be the first thing. There's this movie that came out called Top Gun Maverick. And one of the key lines in that movie that Tom Cruise's character Maverick tells uh, that one of the characters in the movie is, don't think, just do. It sounds very not coachy. But that actually is very important advice when you're trying to do something new is that you can't think through inaction. You have to take action through inaction. So you have to do to be able to create progress. And that does require sometimes to like stop thinking about it and just doing something. That's the first thing I would advise. The second thing I would advise to a new coach would be to start working on themselves as much as they work on their coaching methodology. A lot of coaches take the next coaching program, the next coaching programs, the next coaching methodology, and they're all amazing and you should do that. But no business gets successful till the time the person that is running and creating the business has done the personal work. It's all about your personal work, you doing on yourself. The more you do more work on yourself, the faster will be your success rate. So don't just focus on the business tactics and strategies. Yes, you need them. But more than that, you need you, especially new coaches, especially new coaches because they don't have a team, they don't have resources, they cannot try multiple strategies because they don't have resources or money. Then the only thing you have is you, your mind, your soul, your energy level. So be protective about them and constantly work on them so you can keep building on top of everything that you have created as a baseline. And lastly, I would say is do less things. More is not more. Less is more, more often than not, especially for newer unseasoned coaches and unseasoned businesses, is do less activities that are high impact. You want to do high impact, high income activities versus doing low impact, many activities. Mm -hmm. What's your approach to firing a client? Like I usually know right when it's about to happen because if I see a client's name on my calendar and my heart sinks, I call it a heart sink client. If your heart <laughs> is sinking when you see a client's name on a calendar, it might be time to let that client go. So what's your approach to firing a client? When do you know if it's time to let a client go? So for me, it's about values. So it's about when I am speaking to a client if they represent values that I am against. So there are four values like love, service, health and freedom are my four values. These are values that I care for. They're important to me. But you don't necessarily have to align with them to be my client. But you can be against some of my against values. If you align with them, that doesn't work for me either. And that would lead me to firing you. For example, if you have any divisive kind of philosophies or you're approaching or your business somehow divides people. I don't want to support your business. I don't want to support you until we are open for a dialogue. Again, I'm not saying I will walk away from it, but I would present that information and say, hey, listen, it feels like um, you are for a particular political narrative or religious narrative, even worse, or racial narrative, and I can't support that. So we can talk about it. I can help you through it. And we can see if there's a common point we can come to that makes sense. I'm not saying you shouldn't have your opinions, but they shouldn't be divisive. And... If that's not okay with you, which is perfectly fine, you can keep your money. I don't need you as a client. It's, it's as simple as that. So it's pretty straightforward. Those are the only reasons why I would fire a client. Uh, most of the time, it's never really happened for me where I've had a client where I'm not excited to talk to them. It just hasn't happened for me. So I, I don't know when that stage happens for a client. But for me, that's the only reason why I would fire a client, mostly. I'd love to ask you this. How do you deal with clients who are massively resistant to the coaching. Like a lot of times clients will come, they'll say they want to work with the coach. 
and they get on the phone with you and then there's just this massive wall. There's just this resistance. How do you work with clients like that? So if a client has a resistance, I would most likely think that they have, they don't really have a resistance. They have a narrative that hasn't been opened yet. Mm. Uh, here's what I mean, just to explore that a little bit more. Is For example, when I was working with a company, uh, it was the entire team we were working with. And when I first walked into the meeting, while they had hired me and for very good money, when I walked into the meeting, I could see clearly that the CEO and the CMO were at odds with each other. And because of that, I could see that anything that I would try to get into the system, CEO would resist. It would constantly, I would like, it was literally like how I was hitting a wall. And I recognized that wasn't because they were not open to change. They were not open to change in that setting, right? Because they had the rest of the team sitting there. They were not open to open a dialogue where they felt like they were being vetoed because they didn't want to give that power to their team, right? Now, they still wanted the change, which is why they hired you. So again, I think if somebody has paid you money, they want to change. They have fears, concerns, legitimate issues that they are not willing to accept is why they would not change, is why they would resist. But there is a way to get around to it. So for example, in this scenario, it took me a walk with this person saying, hey, you know what? We're having a lunch break. Would you mind? We take a little quick walk, like 20 minutes, something. And we ended up taking an hour long walk. And that's where I discovered that what they were really fighting was their ego. It's not that they don't want to change. They do want to change. They just had this huge wall up because they were like, oh, I can't. I'm the CEO. I must know everything, right? I can't lose respect just because of this coach that has come into our life, right? So we found a way to navigate that conversation where they didn't feel like I was threatening their position, and at the same point of time, they were willing to change and navigate with me instead of fighting the change that was impending to the organization. It was needed. And that's kind of what I would think would happen most of the time. And that's why resistance usually happens where it's a very big block that they have. Like it's not a small thing that you're fighting. You're actually fighting years of conditioning. Uh, that's why it comes up really often when it's about health very often is because health is really hard to change, especially if something is such an ingrained thing in somebody's life that they are like, no, cannot do that. I am this, I am this. Especially they say, I am this, I am this, I am this. It's a huge programming you're fighting. The thing that you want to do is actually not try to change them straight away. And you don't want to attack that belief directly either. You want to work around that belief. You want to go, okay, I see this is ego or I see this is a conditioning. I don't need to tackle this. Let's tackle this on the side. And usually as you unlock this, this automatically unlocks. It's almost like um, there's a story that I tell about once me, Nita, I think you were there on that boat too when mm -hmm. Vinay and our anchor got stuck. Right. You there? <laughs> right. Yeah. So we, we went out to this lake and Nita was like, we're going to swim here. And I was like, sure. So she was like, let's drop the anchor because there's a lot of wind. Let's drop the anchor. And all of us were like, sure, let's drop the anchor. Then I, my brother-in-law throws it in the lake and we are I anchor. Everybody's swimming. Everybody's having a ball of a time. The fun thing was that nobody knew how to take out an anchor. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knew you just throw the anchor because you literally throw it. But nobody knows how to take out an anchor. And we were like, oh, if we throw the anchor, you just pull it out. Right. That's how you do the anchor, right? It's gone down, straight down. You just pull it out. And mm -hmm. that's how you unlock the anchor. 
very smartly. So about an hour in or whatever it was. And we all go, all right, let's pull out the anchor. So Vinay goes, all right, I'm going to pull out the anchor. And he tries. And then uh, it doesn't it, come out, of stuck. course. It's stuck. <laughs> it's stuck. Like, oh, shit, it's stuck. And so I go, oh, I've done 10x. I'm going to do the, the, my fitness routine. I'm like, oh, I can totally take out the anchor. I'm being all bossy, trying to take out the anchor. <laughs> of course, it's stuck. Not screaming out. The third person that was with us also tries and doesn't work. Then all three of us try. All the guys are going, oh, they, this is embarrassing. Like, <laughs> we threw this anchor. They should be able to come out. And we call the boat people like, guys, <laughs> we don't that know what happened. Part. That was the best There's, part. The we, don't, we don't know. This is not coming out. It's a bunch of Indians on a boat. Yeah, a bunch of Indians <laughs> yeah. have never thrown an anchor and have no idea how this thing works. And so the the guy, I, he didn't say these words, but it kind of like suggestive of these words. You idiots, it's an anchor. You cannot just pull it out. You have to drive the boat towards it and maneuver it out, mm-hmm. right? It's almost how we anchor beliefs mm-hmm. in a way, right? Our beliefs are anchored. You can't just say, all right, I'll pull this out. It doesn't work that way. It's anchored in. It's stuck somewhere. That's why it's an anchor. That's why it can keep the boat stable. Mm-hmm. That's why it can keep you so attached to something. Wow. You can't maneuver it by simply forcing it. You have to maneuver it. You have to turn the boat towards it. Then you have to go a little bit this way, a little bit that way. And it wiggles itself out and then it's easy to pull out. Then it came out so fast. It was like, oh, okay, let's pull it out, pull it out, pull it out. And done. We were done with the anchor. It took five minutes once we maneuvered it. But to maneuver it or even get to that point, we wasted maybe an hour trying to pull it out until we called the guys and they said, uh, you just move the boat towards the anchor yes. <laughs> instead of trying to force it in your hands and that will maneuver the anchor <laughs> and then you can pull it out. It was so easy once we knew what to do. And that's kind of what I think sometimes when somebody's resisting is, is they have such a strong anchor, you can't just pull it out. You have to go around it. You can't approach the t- problem directly. You have to indirectly approach the problem or direct yourself to a different problem. Mm-hmm. And when you solve that problem, this problem solves itself. But it's kind of like the building of the confidence, right? Because let's just say the thing that you're so resistant to, okay, so let's just say if it's your health. So leave that alone. Let's try something else that this person can win at, right? Like something else that they can succeed at, then they can take that confidence, you know, success energy. And they're like, okay, let me just try to approach this, right? Because that anchor is so deeply rooted. We've kind of lost hope, which is why they come to the coach. And so as the coach, you know, we should know this as coaches, like do not directly attack the problem because that problem has been there way longer than you have. Yeah. Or that issue, right? So it's really like working around it and then finding our way in and, and loosening that up. So this was such a great conversation. Thank you, boss.